This is On Deck, conversations about entrepreneurship with Les Deck. Hello, Les Deck. Yesterday, I had a nice interview with Greg Kozan, who is the CEO and founder of Ridgeway Plumbing. This is a story of an entrepreneur who started small and kept adapting. If there's a, a key word about this particular podcast, it's uh, adaptiveness. I thought it'd be really interesting for you to hear from an entrepreneur who started small, built a large business, did all the changes necessary in technology. He put together a prefab facility, a manufacturing facility, so that uh, he can save work uh, and be more efficient on site. He installed a management team to take over. So you're going to you're going to hear about all the transitions that this interesting company went through in the process of coming to where it is now. So uh, enjoy, uh, and I'm sure you'll learn something. Greg, uh, welcome today, uh, and thank you for being here. Well, thanks, Les. Uh, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Would you just start by telling us uh, how you how you got started? Well, the story is like uh, probably a lot of construction companies, family businesses. My grandparents actually started the company. My parents are split up and I was being raised by my mom and my grandparents. And my actually myself and my twin brother, Gary, we'll be talking more about him today, too, I'm sure. So they started the company back in the 50s. And right back then, uh, Gary and I were working as little kids around the plumbing shop unloading trucks, putting fittings away. I remember my, we actually had a time card where we would fill out whatever we did. We fill out the time card and we were getting paid a penny a minute. <laughs> uh, so we would unload a truck and put down like six minutes or eight minutes or whatever. So that's how that went. Fast forward a few years. Uh, I went off to college. My brother uh, went off to the Air Force. And in the early 70s, uh, we both came back about two years apart. I came in first and uh, decided I kind of like this business. You know, I went to school to be pre-med, but I really enjoyed the construction business. And uh, that's what I wanted to do. And I talked to my brother and a couple of years later, he joined the company again back in the early 70s. At that time, uh, things were really, really slow. Uh, we've only had a couple of guys working. I think they were taking taking uh, alternate days on, on who was going to work each day. There was a recession going on. So when my brother came in in 73, uh, we didn't have any work in the office for him. So he had to work in the field, uh, which really was good because he got a lot, a lot of experience, field experience that served him well all through his career. And that was the part of the business that he kind of uh, oversaw through the years and about nine years later 1980 uh, we bought the business off our grandparents they were well into their 70s we retired them and uh and took it off on our own from there you know we were just trying to find our way again you always think you know how to run a business when somebody else is actually running it when my grandparents left, they never came back. Uh, we, we, we stayed friends, but I think on purpose, 
they never came back to the office to make sure that we had to, to figure things out on our own, uh, which was was really, really good. Uh, we, we did figure it out. Uh, my brother and I were really good partners for a lot of years. And since I had an office background and he had the field background, early on, we were able to uh, split those duties which really, really helped us. We were like the same person, but we could cover more ground. He was obviously his avatar. He was my avatar, I guess. So that really worked well for us through the years. Uh, we we dabbled in well, everything. We had a showroom. We had uh, uh, service work. We did you know homes, apartments, shopping centers, gas stations, office buildings, anything we could get our hands on. Tried to just you know, just make a living at it and hadn't really planned on, on anything huge. Okay. So in the early years, uh, you and Gary were just figuring it out. That's an interesting division of labor. You just, uh, that automatically happened for you, driven by the fact that you had some office experience and, um, and Gary uh, was willing to work in the field. And I know he became very good at it. That doesn't sound very focused in the early years. You were doing gas stations and houses that wouldn't describe being a construction plumber yet at that point it was what you did you know that that's what most construction companies do in the early years you just get a job and do a job and get another job and do another job uh it's it's said that uh construction you're always working yourself out of a job so you've got to keep feeding the machine as soon as you finish something you better have something else uh that's probably the most difficult part about contracting <clears throat> Some things never change, huh? It really, really is. We could do the same thing right now. Uh, same deal. Uh, we actually got into fire sprinklers in the in the early 80s. We uh, hired a fella to, to help us get into the sprinkler business because we thought it would be a good uh, uh, you know, attachment to the plumbing business. We tried that for seven or eight years and did okay with it. But it never really took off. Another recession hit in the late 80s where we couldn't, we weren't doing condos anymore. I bought this, the fire sprinklers worked well because there was just an add-on to the plumbing if we, if we were building the condominium. Mm -hmm. But when that market dried up, the, uh, the plumbing looked like it was going to have to go towards houses. And the fire sprinkler looked like it was going to have to go towards office building shopping centers. So we really couldn't do the same kind of work. And we didn't want to go two directions. So we let the sprinkler business go uh, after about seven or eight years. So, so the, we did. the economic situation of the 80s began to focus you, began to uh, <laughs> orient you in, uh, in the residential construction area. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because uh, we had never really thought a lot about doing houses back then. I mean, we did we did some, you know, the biggest project we ever we were doing back then was maybe 30 or 40 homes. Again, we were doing whatever we could get our hands on. But when the market changed after the little recession in, in probably the late 80s, we saw that we're going to morph back more into uh it's just some homes we had and we had built a new facility a little bit bigger we had room to put more trucks and and more uh inventory and all so that worked you know in our favor as we as we start to get into the housing market 
And the more houses that we did, we continued to do apartment work and multifamily, but the more homes that we did, the better we got at it and the better reputation got at that. And uh, we just continued with that. So it's been a long run of homes probably since since the late 1980s. Yeah, that just speaks so much of the adaptiveness of the entrepreneur. You uh, um, adapted to uh, what could have been considered a really difficult situation in the recession of the late 1980s. And it actually focused you and you began to uh, focus on a market. That's very interesting, Greg. You know, it's kind of funny. You 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 don't chase after a market. You, you after you're in the business for so long, there's a lot of things you don't like. So you just avoid certain types of work. We didn't like to do customer service work. We didn't like to do uh, commercial work. Uh, and so this was what was left, and uh, and it seemed to fit fit better for us. Yeah, tell, tell the audience what a a construction plumbing company is as it kind of exists today? Well, you know, for us, uh, yeah, you know, we're not selling material like a supply house would do. We we actually build uh, from from all the piping underground, uh, whether it's a home or any kind of building, actually. Uh, the, the interior walls, uh, I mean, inside the interior walls, all the way through fixture set. So... You know, we're we're building along with uh, 25, 30 some odd other trade contractors all building on the same project uh, to, to, to completion. And what's the size and scope of your clients? What kind of clients do you have, actually? You know, m- most of what we look for now are, uh, are, are the, the big home builders, the big national builders, the Lennars and the Pulses and Toll Brothers, uh, D.R. Hortons. Uh, people like that, and some really big regional developers as well here in Florida. So you're you're dealing with the biggest of the home builders, and well, you know, we look for there. There's minerals and there's whales, and that, that's what what we call them. We don't want to <clears throat> work for people that can't give us a lot of work. Uh, we don't want to get bogged down with with maybe custom homes. Custom homes can be good if you're doing them, if that's your your focus. But it gets in the way. It takes an awful lot of work. And then once that home is built, that home, that client isn't going to build another one anytime soon. We want repeat business. It's all about recurring revenue for us. So we want to get with the guys that can do us the most, uh, that give us the most work. It just takes a lot to maintain a customer, whether he's a big customer or a small customer. So we chase the minnows or chase the whales and, uh, and leave the minnows to somebody else. You, somebody said you can feed a minnow all you want. All it's going to do is just still be a big minnow. He's never going to be a whale. Doesn't feed the village. You could be successful and it wouldn't feed the no. village. And that's what we have to do, real. So as I listen, um, it occurs to me that I don't think we've been building tradesmen like new plumbers uh, at any rate over the years. And how have you compensated for the fact that uh, – you're not having uh, master plumbers come out of uh, apprenticeship all the time. No, that was real difficult. Uh, you know, before the last downturn in the <clears throat> late, well, the last boom time uh, in the late '90s, early 2000s, there was apprenticeship programs or good, valid, strong apprenticeship programs in this area. We had a lot of people in school. We did a lot of in-house training. We had a uh, a thing called PU for Plumbing University, 
and we did a lot of training uh, in-house in our own classroom. And that was pretty good. And that, that worked well. Uh, when the recession hit back in 06, 07, a lot of tradespeople just disappeared. They, they left the area or they got into other, other industries. And then, you know, fast forward 10 or 12 years later, when it picked up again, that those guys just weren't there anymore. Uh, and, and it's very, very difficult now. We do have apprenticeship programs. I probably have 70 or 80 guys in, in some apprenticeship programs now. But uh, yeah, it's much more difficult to, 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 I mean, just to find trained people. And, and normally when we find people that have experience, they have a lot of bad habits too. So for us, the way our system works, uh, in, in a lot of ways, if we get a guy from ground zero and train him, it works a lot better for us. Excellent. Well, I, and so um, that's probably the most creative way to find the more than 400 plumber installers that are out there working for you on all these yeah. projects. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a revolving door, you know, you, you know, you, you hire a bunch, you lose a bunch. Uh, right now, it's very difficult labor market and it's not getting any better. And there's a lot of work. And if people don't like the job they're on or the boss they have, they can easily just walk out and, and, and pick up another job somewhere else for probably more money. That's strange times that we're in. Yeah, it is. It's tough. Yeah. Uh, the, the great resignation. So aside from um, your adapting to the economic situation and the and creating a way to essentially make your own plumbers so that you had people and this is another this is another industry where uh, your success has got to be driven by people. If you don't have the people, you can't actually do the work. Aside from that, <clears throat> Adaptiveness. Um, what are the key factors in your growth and development over the years? Because there's been a lot of it, right? Well, uh, to go back to the people, uh, we recognized early on that, uh, just as you said, that's that's the key, especially in construction. We need to be field driven. We need everybody that's not installing plumbing needs to have they we've got to have a support staff that supports those people whether it's getting in the material getting in the information uh the equipment the trucks uh, everything that they need because we don't we can't invoice for anything that's not a plumbing installation so if we you know we've got a, a large support staff but we let them all no, we over and over we repeat this that, that that these guys are there to support the field. The field are the guys. I mean, that's the front lines, and uh, everybody else is just there for them. Is that um, a key part of the culture that you've developed? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, it's always been a people centric, or not just a people centric, but a field centric uh, culture. And now that we have a lot of people in our office, we probably got 60 people in our office. Sometimes they think, you know, maybe they don't understand what goes on in the field. What we try to do from time to time is get them out on little field trips and take them to job sites and let them see what it's like. 
and actually go out there in the middle of the summer when it's 95 or 100 degrees and stand out there in the sun for <clears throat> 45 minutes and see what it's like to have to work out there like that every single day. They, really, they appreciate working in the office in the AC. It occurs to me uh, also, since I've been around your uh, your shop quite a lot, that there's a primary difference between uh, Ridgeway and uh, other trades companies and certainly other plumbing companies that I know of. Uh, you have um, almost, I would say, a manufacturing plant there. You uh, do a lot of uh, what you have referred to me uh, before as uh, assembly work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some people say that's not real plumbing, you know, that you guys are just uh, installers and not plumbers, although, and that's true in a lot of cases. Although I've got a lot of really, really good plumbers working for me as well that can do everything. Uh, the, yeah, the fabrication came 25, 30 years ago. We, 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 we started fabricating and it was really more of a quality initiative. Because we saw that if we could fabricate things and do the same thing in a little more controlled environment and make everything that we could in our warehouse and in our shop that the guys wouldn't have to do in the field, we'd have more consistency of product, uh, a lot less material waste, and, uh, and actually make it easier on the guys in the field as well. But uh, it was really a quality initiative when we started doing all that. Excellent. Well, it works very well for you. So we were friends back at what we uh, look back on and, and refer to as uh, the Great Recession in uh, <laughs> modern terms, anyway, going back to the years of uh, 2007, 2008, that were difficult years for virtually all trades companies because uh, Construction was continuing, but at a very low pace in Florida. Speak to that a little bit and how you survived that. Yeah, it's funny. You know, you and I met last uh, 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 as Vistage. Back then, it was tech. And uh, I always wanted to get into a tech group or a Vistage group. And I thought, this is what I need to grow my business. Well, little did we know that as we were right around the time that we were getting into business, the business was going right down the toilet, you know, part of the pun on that one. We had gone from 315 people down to about 60 people at that time through maybe 2006 and bottomed out around 2009. And we had to rebuild. We had to rebuild. Uh, we didn't know how long we were going to be bouncing on the bottom, which we did bounce on the bottom for about the, uh, about three years before it actually turned and uh, and started climbing back up. We're twice that size now, but uh, it took us it took us about ten or eleven years to reach the point that we were back in 05. So that and that's and that's where our relationship and with Vistas at all really helped uh, to uh, you know how we can can manage our our downsizing. And, and layoffs and uh and staff layoffs and all that as well so that we didn't bleed all our cash out and you were very very helpful with all that i mean i remember we had lists of of, of office staff uh you know construction staff would just kind of 
we'd have to let them go. We didn't have any work. But the office people, you can't keep these people forever if there's no work. They're to support it. And we had a list, and, and we saw if, if our volume level dropped below a certain level, we would, okay, these next three or four people would have to go. And if it got any further, then it would be some more. And that was just between you and me. Nobody else knew that. But uh, I still have those lists around here somewhere. Oh. As a reminder, that just, that's what you have to do. Right. And so uh, if you want to talk about uh, the courage of the entrepreneur, uh, that was the personification of it, and it wasn't. Well, just it sounds, it sounds uh, maybe sounds a little crude, but somebody said you can always replace your people. You can't replace your cash. You know, your people will stay. You can keep them. They'll keep on coming to work and taking the paycheck. And when you run out of cash, you're going to lose them anyhow. Exactly. Uh, and you're going to be in worse shape. So yeah. we matched our cash really closely in those times. Yeah. I remember uh, you saying, if we ever get back to 20 million, uh, I'll be happy. And of course, you blew that away and blew the, the next goal away and the next one after yeah. that. And now you're more than double what you were uh, before that particular crash. But that takes a lot of courage to do that. Mm -hmm. um, in recent years, the world has changed with respect to uh, information technology and uh, the digital involvement that we all have to have in businesses. How's that affected you and your company? Yeah, we were fortunate to get some guys in uh, in a downturn. Uh, one in particular was really, really good on, uh, on the IT side, uh, technology, developing software. And uh, so as we were slow and, and not doing a whole lot of work, I mean, our market at that time fell off 96%. Our housing market uh, before the recession in 06 was 30,000 units a year and it went down to 1,200 units a year. So, I mean, it fell off big time. We worked on uh, developing software and, and, and figured, okay, we were at a certain size. We'll get there again someday. What do we need to do to make things easier to operate and more efficient to operate when we get back up? to that level again. I mean, we had had 300 employees. Renewables like to have 300 employees. So what, what were we going to have to do to manage that again so we were not beating our heads against the wall like it was last time when we had 300 people? So we developed that. Uh, right now we have, uh, I think, five people in, in IT that just developed software for us. Everything we have is proprietary, state-of-the-art stuff. Because uh, I always say, you know, we're only building houses. They're, they're, these are super complicated for the most part. We're only building houses, and anybody can do that in construction. What we're really doing is processing information. Mm -hmm. You know, we built 9,000 homes last year. That's 9,000 individual sets of not just drawings, but specifications, uh, colors, faucet types, everything else. And we have to process that, make sure that, that we have that to the right house at the right time and that people know what, what's going to go in. So there's a lot of information to process. And the same thing with invoicing, invoicing, uh, paying bills, processing the payroll every week with 500 plus employees. It's a big task. And we couldn't do that uh, in any way, shape or form if we didn't have the uh, 
information systems and a software that we developed. And you developed that? Uh, all in-house. All in-house. And uh, it started intensively during the downturn, but it continues. You keep oh, down more and more. Yeah. 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 Well, all right. Um, and so you have some people who have uh, done that. Um, I know that you have some people who have been with you for quite a long time. And then you had to acquire new people in order to adapt again. That word adapt mm -hmm. keeps coming back to our conversation. Mm -hmm. And um, so would you tell me a bit about the, tell the audience a bit about the management team that you have now? My, my, my brother and I, probably going back. Yeah, I mean, trust me, when things got slow again, and, and you know, we, back in, in 09, 010, we were about done. It's like, do we really want to keep doing this? You know, he was, he was about done. And I thought, well, we can't leave this place now at the bottom. We need to, we need to build this back up. Uh, about 10 years or so ago, we, we said, you know, we don't know if we're going to keep the business, pass it on to family members, pass it on to key employees. Are we going to sell it? Are we going to sell it to private equity? Are we going to sell it to a strategic buyer? What are we going to do with this thing? We didn't know. But one thing we did know is that you will exit one way or another somehow. Yeah. And no matter what you, no matter what direction your, your, your ultimate uh, dissolution is, you need to have yourself out of the business and some other people running it. And we pulled together uh, five people, a management team. Uh, and again, this is maybe 10 years ago. We still got those same five guys on that team. One was business development. One uh, was, was logistics and materials. One was the administration and the IT and, uh, and accounting. One was, is a field guy and one was our quality guy. All of them long, long-term people. I mean, some of these guys... 30 and even 40 year people with the company. We set up a different bonus program. We pay them a lot of extra money based on performance. And one of these guys are sort of looking at it as owners of the company. Uh, fast forward a few years later, three of those five people actually did buy into the company and we transferred some stock over to them as my brother uh, retired about four years ago. So we're, we're, we're in that transition right now with the, with the other generation. And they're, they're doing very, very well with it. Yes, they're learning as the business grows and their roles change as the business grows as yours did. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you developed into uh, a company that has uh, a major part of uh, the available plumbing work in your area down there. Mm -hmm. And I know you're expanding into other areas of the state now. Mm -hmm. So you're always yeah. thinking about key expansion. You become really important to those people that you do business with. They have to have you at this point. Uh, and uh, I know you well enough to know that you are very client-oriented as well as uh, field-oriented. Wondering what's the most important to you as you look forward to the future of the business at this point? Most important to me is uh, to be able to transition out completely. Although I love this doing this, uh, you know, it's not healthy for me to stay there forever. So I, I'm really spending a lot of my my efforts and energy 
on, on coaching, mentoring, letting these guys do like my grandparents did for, for me and my brother, you know, run this place, do your thing, make your mistakes. You know, I'll help fill the holes if there's something that's not getting looked at. But mainly I'm flying at a really high level and just watching numbers and uh, and, and giving these guys some, some coaching. Recently, uh, most of the administrative corps and now all the management people have moved over to um, a leased office building while you rebuild your, your own office building on your site. Yeah. Whenever you and I talk, you're not there. Do you even have an office over there? No, actually, when COVID hit about two and a half years ago, uh, most everybody, I mean, in a matter of days, we cleared the offers out. And everybody started working from home. And, uh, you know, eventually, you know, they all, you know, they came back probably within six months and made everybody back in the office. But when I came home, I set up an office uh, at my house and I figured, well, they can all go back to the office. But if I go back, I probably never leave. So I'm, I'm going to continue to, to stay in my in my home office. I'm still at, at, at the shop three times, four times a week. I've got to pick up things and, and, and sign permits and, and, and do do some things like that. And I like it. I get to see the people. But, I, I you know, I, I like to, I like to keep my nose in, keep my hands off, you know, and that's what we're trying to do with it. So hard for you? Yeah, sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. But everybody recognizes that, and they, they they try to not involve me unless they really need to. Uh, and it's it's a transition. I mean, it took me fifty years to get here, so it's going to take a little longer to get out. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have transferred some stock uh, to your management team, which is a wonderful thing. It gives them a uh, an ownership feel that the that there's no other way to have, and I know it's a significant one at this point. Yet. Uh, you and um, uh, one other member of your family continue to retain control, controlling interest. Yeah, yeah, I've still got fifty percent. Well, my my young son Andrew has uh, a chunk of the business that we started transferring. I mean, it was more of an estate move than anything, just to get some of the value out of my estate uh, while there was a lower valuation. But I still control 50% of the company. Is uh, Andrew coming into the business? <laughs> we laugh about that. Maybe someday I think it's a, it's an it's an unbelievable opportunity for somebody, for a family member to come into a business like this. I mean, it's really, really. And he, he had, through college, showed an awful lot of interest in it. But uh, his entire life, he's had even more interest in playing golf and becoming a professional player, which he is now. Uh, he's been out of college now for about a year, over a year now. He's professional. He's on the Corn Ferry Tour. He just had his first win on the Corn Ferry, so now he'll wow. be playing that again next year and working towards getting that PGA Tour card. So he's uh, he's traveling a lot. I mean, probably 23, 24 tournaments in the last 30 weeks. Travels a lot. Uh, he loves that life, and he's doing well. So he's following his dream, and that dream eventually intersects back at Ridgeway Plumbing. Good for him. If it stays on the PGA Tour, that's even better. So we just uh, 
see where where it all goes. Yeah. Really, really, really happy for him. Uh, he's a nice young man. Um, I've uh, met him several times. Okay, so you have circumvented the, the problem of another generation not coming in by distributing the uh, um, ownership in terms of actual ownership and in terms of responsibility very well. Uh, and those people are, uh, it sounds like, fulfilling specific responsibilities uh, inside of the organization, and, and they have been for some time. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the, they never were silos, but they're specific levels of uh, uh, functioning and opportunity. How do you how do you get them to work together as uh, not just a management team, but an ownership team and be strategic at this point? Yeah, uh, that we, we have to work a lot on aligning their values and their personal situations. You got to understand, I've had a twin brother as a partner, so we were kind of the same person all these years. So I understood him. He, he understood me. That ain't to say that we didn't get along, you know, uh, a lot of times we didn't get along on, didn't agree on things, but but we understood and had the same family situation. Now, these guys are a little bit different ages. They have different family situations, different long-term goals. And uh, to keep all that stuff in alignment so that uh, they can all continue to, to, to play the role that they play. Now, they're all very, very busy people. And they're all, there's very, almost no overlap from what does one what does and what the other one does. There's no overlap. And so they're very busy and you've got to find time to have meetings, even if it's lunch meetings or or, or something, just to compare notes and to, to stay in alignment. Uh, one person can always stay in line by himself. Two people, a little easier. Once you get three or four or five or more people involved, it's much more difficult. They want to go different directions. And I need to see that the uh, the ship needs to keep moving in the right direction. Have you seen the culture change much at Ridgeway? You, you and Gary, uh, identical twins, understood each other very well. Um, and you always knew where you were going. Your values were similar. And now we have a management team that is uh, diverse um, compared with that. So the field and the office staff could always see where you and Gary were going. You were there every day. Yeah, uh, and there were only two of you, and you were kind of one person anyway. But how is that? Is there change in that? Uh, is there something new developing inside your culture there? Well, there's always going to be. You know, we, you know, we've always got. We've got a lot of young people. You know, I'm thrilled to see. If I walk in my office, I feel like I'm looking at a at a college. I mean, these a lot of my people in my office are in their in the twenties and early twenties. I uh, see so much opportunity. Some of them are there, maybe, you know, nobody's coming on, on a, in a job at 22 years old looking for a 50 year career, you know, so you've got to treat them all differently. It, it, it's different uh, demographically, but smart people, it's fun to see that in the field. Again, a lot of young people coming in. I like to think the culture hasn't changed a lot, uh, especially on the field side, but. You know, just as the country's changing, a lot more diversity, uh, a lot more uh, younger people that we have now, which is exciting because if it was a bunch of old guys, we just, you know, you had to run out of steam and, and, and go nowhere. So uh, 
we're real, real happy with, with some of these young people that we have. We've got an employee development uh, committee, basically, and, and program to uh, to move these people along and keep them uh, on track with their own personal careers, knowing that a lot of these guys are maybe not, won't stay here more than five or six or 10 years, and they want to move on. We have to understand that and have to accept that. It's a, just a different thing uh, than it was in my generation. Thank you for um, sharing that. What would you do differently, if if anything, looking back? Boy, uh, I knew this question was coming. <laughs> uh, I probably work more towards getting out sooner. But, you know, I, I look back, you know, when I was at the right age to get out, uh, we were in another a recession in 2007. And I wasn't about to let this thing go in a big hole like that. And it took us 10 years to get out. And then, of course, when it gets going good again, you enjoy it more and you don't want to leave. It was always just two people. And, you know, and we got to have to understand that there's more people involved now. And um, you know, I maybe I should have uh, try to get out or develop more people earlier on. But that's the way it went. Indeed, that's the way it went. Well, for the audience, you have heard an entrepreneurial story starting 45 years ago, 50 years ago, and coming up uh, uh, to the present company now dominating its market, uh, where the entrepreneur uh, who's still in the business uh, is uh, ready to uh, depart. Uh, and has uh, actually turned over most of uh, the management to his management team, um, which is a great way to go as an entrepreneur. Greg, thank you so much for being with us this morning and for telling us the story. That's been my pleasure. I appreciate you uh, inviting me in for this one. My pleasure as well. This has been On Deck with Les Deck. Thanks for listening. In each episode, we uncover wisdom you can use to grow your business. If you want to learn more about leadership team coaching, visit us on the web at lesdeck.com. If you have questions or anything else you want to say, email us at les at lesdeckconsulting.com. Don't forget to click that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. This is a Les Deck production. Thank you.